Hello and welcome. It's the end of the week, so time to talk suds, the weekly podcast that captures the very best out of the Startup Daily Show, which you can watch on AusBiz at 2pm every weekday, or of course, catch up on ausbiz.com.au. I'm Simon Thompson, editor of StartupDaily.net, and for the very last time, the co-founder of this podcast. <laughs> Elliot Hasty. yes. Oh, it's... It's sad to be doing the last one, Simon, but uh, it's been so much fun and we're going to have so much fun on this episode as well. Absolutely. Now, I have to say that Elliot also has been one of the founding members of the AusBiz team. We've worked together on the Startup Daily Show for the last two years. It's been a fantastic ride. We'll talk more about that at the end, I reckon, of the podcast, Elliot. But uh, thanks. It's been a great adventure with you, mate. It absolutely has been. And, you know, we will have a bit of discussion because... We've been part of a startup ourselves, Simon. Absolutely. For a little over two years now. Um, but don't you really wish you were working for Elon Musk right now, Elliot? Sort of maybe putting together a Twitter takeover because that would be so much fun. I'm fairly certain everyone on my social media is sick of how much I just despise the man and everything now that he does. I'm just like, oh, really? Like he woke up cranky this morning, didn't he, Simon? Well, I, one reason he's cranky, of course, is because the S&P 500 dropped Tesla from its environmental, social and governments index, of course, the ESG, um, and explained it actually in a blog on Wednesday why. I mean, the problems are, you know, that the, the S&P said its criteria include hundreds of data points for each company, um, including the way the business affects the planet and how it treats shareholders, beyond shareholders, all of those sorts of things. The problem was that Tesla isn't addressing many of the issues that it raised along the way. So, of course, he's getting stuck into this. He loves picking a fight at this point in time. He really is the crankiest teenager in the world um, and turning himself into the world's richest martyr at this point in time. Um, it's just extraordinary. It's an extraordinary story as well. Like, there's parts of it which I'm like with the ESG where, you know, some things, okay, admittedly might not make, make sense, but as S&P does explain as well, they have a whole criteria about the lowest quartile doesn't make it into this index. And because all the other car companies are picking up their game across the spectrum, the fact that Tesla isn't is what is discounting it from being included. Yeah, and I actually think he's got bigger problems on that front because other car companies are picking up their game on several fronts, including Rivian. Think about Cybertruck. Uh, how's that going, Elon? I know you're a little bit distracted right now, but, of course, there are plenty of car companies, including, remember that great innovator Ford, that are putting out electric trucks and everyone is still waiting for this Tesla one. And I think that company is now starting to get to the point where it's going to face a whole bunch more competition. And I get the sense that this is a man who doesn't take competition particularly well. No, he just sort of wants to outbuy them, outbid them. And, you know, now that he's joined the Republican Party, who knows what else he wants to do with them. Or not buy them, as the case may be, <laughs> with Twitter. I mean, talk about buyer's remorse. This is now starting to be the corporate takeover version of a Vegas wedding, you know. In with all the enthusiasm on day one, day two, there is a lot of regret going on. And who knows how this one's going to pan out. But I wouldn't be surprised, having sort of driven the car over the cliff, he gets out of the wreck and walks away. The great thing will be when inevitably Netflix makes a TV special about it, you know, dramatised version of this all unfolding, um, and I will certainly be right there watching it. Now, Simon, we, of course, uh, are no strangers to the equity market and the crypto market, and basically it's just become a sea of red, and that goes for, especially for the tech stocks. Oh, my goodness. Instacart slashing its valuation by almost 
40% to about $24 billion is kind of symbolic of that whole experience. I mentioned last week Atlassian has lost around about 50% of its value. The NASDAQ is down around 12% from its highs last November. Of course, Australian tech stocks have been suffering similar. Our block, I think, only two months ago was up around 180 Today, it's under 120 So it's even wow. below that takeover price of around $126 when the whole Afterpay Square thing came together. Um, I think this is going to continue at this point in time. There's going to be a lot of volatility and as interest rates continue to rise, I think tech will struggle on a number of fronts when it comes to valuations, investment and uh, share prices. It absolutely is. And, you know, we talk about it daily on, on AusBiz, particularly, you know, this volatile sessions are, make some, for some really exciting guest commentary and, and all that conversation as well. And I think the lessons that I've taken from it from the market specialist so far is, you know, think longer term. This market does go in cycles. Yes, it's brutal, but, you know, you've got to have your forward planning. And then there's also when you do think about tech, when you do think about companies investing, there is that adage of like invest in companies who you love what they're giving. If they're giving a product, if they're giving a platform, if you love it and believe in it, then chances are it's going to do a ride in the end. It's going to survive uh, the, the washout. And if you are an everyday investor rather than a sophisticated one ploughing early stage funds into startups, probably go for one with revenue and profitability because you might even get a dividend uh, if you know what those are. Hello to anyone listening in the US. It is very sound um, advice, but bringing it all back home to Australia, we do, of course, have the election this weekend. The big and- sausage sizzle. Oh, I'm so ready for it to be over. I think I'm voting early just to not have to deal with it. You haven't been one of the three million who have already... Pre- well, see, it's the, it's the first weekend of my partner being an Australian citizen, so I thought, oh, we'll go on the day and we'll get a sausage sizzle and he'll vote and I'll be like, wow, whoop if I can do But then I realised I've got so much on Saturday, I was like, oh, I actually don't have time. Well, as part <laughs> of his Welcome to Australia pack, you better buy him a dryer's bone because I know it's going to be raining again in Sydney. But look, uh, tech hasn't been front of mind, particularly for Australian politicians this election. There have been some announcements. One of the people I caught up with on the show this week was Mr Schubert, the CEO of Science and Technology. They, of course, represent around 90,000 people in the sector across this country. What they did was they had a wish list, basically, of things they wanted government to address, about 10 points, and they then approached all the major parties as well as the independents to talk about the issues and how they felt about it. The interesting thing, I think, in our conversation this week is, you know, politicians love sort of saying... Believe in motherhood, great idea, but then do they act to make childcare more affordable or to make arrangements around running a family and making a family affordable? A little less so. So the interesting thing about this in our discussion was the fact that she does already have commitments around R&D and commercialisation investment out of both sides of major parties who will form government for this election. So that's good news. But I did get a sense reading through all of the details, and you can read more on startupdaily.net about this, uh, that all the parties and all the politicians are pretty much very pro the science and innovation agenda and are keen to do a little bit more on this front. Here's what Mishish said about their responses. Uh, There's been a a wide-ranging embrace of science and technology as 
are crucial capabilities to drive Australia's next era of economic growth and social prosperity and inclusion. And uh, it, what's been really heartening for us as the peak body for the science and tech sectors in all their breadth across Australia has been to see those strong expressions of support from right across the political spectrum for people um, and parties, so both independent candidates and the political parties across the landscape, uh, affirming and stating their belief in the power and importance of science and technology as crucial capabilities for the country, uh, expressing their desire to work with the science and tech sectors across the next term of parliament to really advance and deepen those capabilities for the country uh, and uh, sharing our aspiration to turn Australia into a global science and tech superpower. Uh, so to, to look at those opportunities where we can deepen investment or make further strategic investments uh, in capability building. Uh, one thing that has been really um, terrific to see is both the major parties of government uh, indicating that they would support the legislation for the proposed new $1.6 billion research commercialisation fund. As you know, Simon, this has been something that's been on the top of uh, Science and Technology Australia's um, wish list in policy terms for several years. We've made the argument in every corridor conversation we've had in Canberra across the last several years and both sides uh, of um, the parliament in terms of the major parties of government have said they would legislate for that fund to proceed and start its important work from July. That, of course, will enable more of the really brilliant breakthroughs in science and tech that are happening in our world-leading research institutes and universities to bridge that valley of death in commercialisation and to find their way further along the development um, stages so that the private venture capital markets can then actually see proof of concept, proof of product, look at a fully engineered prototype and make some clever investor choices at that point to um, push more of that great innovation uh, into a startup pathway uh, and make sure that other countries don't help themselves to um, significant amounts of our IP that's been grown and developed here in Australia. It's really good to hear from uh, Misha that, you know, there is actually, you know, people are actually sort of committed to it in various levels and in various ways. Um, you know, they, they do actually want to look at this sector and go, well, what can we pump into? And I guess it's one of the things that in terms of listening to it as a voter, it might fall by the wayside because you're focused on maybe cost of living at the moment rather than, you know, what the tech community and their commitments there. And Elliot, I'm going to put my economist hat on, not that I am one, but I <laughs> hang around a lot of them and it rubs off sometimes. This is where our productivity gains are going to come from. This is how we're going to get wages to lift. This is how we're going to solve the debates that we're having right now. It is going to be these technological and innovation opportunities that create higher wages, create more opportunity, create more jobs. So if we invest and government invests at this point in time, they're going to answer the other question they're being hammered by uh, from voters at this point in time. There are going to be better jobs for the next generation and higher paying jobs in really smart ideas. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things as well. We talked about this with Sally Ann last week as well. There's so much opportunity, but I guess where it falls is it's a hard, it's a hard thing to sell to the general public. Like I, you know, we know this, our audience knows this, but to say to, you know, up in the minds, your job will change to this technology led, like carbon revolution, blah, blah, blah. That's a lot harder to sell than just, oh, you just get to keep what you got. 
Well, the message actually is your kids are going to make more money than you and perhaps out of that they can afford a house. This could be one of the solutions. Funny you should mention Sally Ann because, of course, what she was talking about was that longer-term thinking. And one of the things on the list from Science and Technology Australia that they want to see addressed is tackling what they call the broken system of insecure work tied to competitive research grants, especially for Australia's early career scientists. Now, these are people who could go on to be Nobel Prize winners. They could create amazing innovations, whether it's med tech or space or whatever sector they're working in. The problem is that the grants at the moment might last for 12 months or three years. I know a great researcher, Dr Darren Saunders, whose funding ran out, brilliant guy, working in cancer, breakthrough stuff, and suddenly you're out of a job, you know. All that knowledge, all that momentum, all that effort disappears because of this. So one of the points is that she wants to see some longer-term thinking, some longer-term support so that these deep tech ideas can be developed. I asked her about how the parties responded to the idea of backing our scientists on grant funding. Yeah, well, this has been, again, something that we've been really watching um, with with ever-growing concern, I must say, through the course of the pandemic. You know, we've, we've had this lived experience where um, science has been uh, so important to our safety and well-being, and yet there's been acute pressure, ever more acute pressure, on the science workforce in our country across the lived experience of that pandemic. So um, rather than having a really specific ask, we've invited the parties to all think about the what, what we could all do as a shared piece of work in the next term, uh, something that we will be looking to pick up um, with people across the breadth of the parliament again in that new term once we're through the election process, uh, will be that opportunity to talk about, well, how could we give our brilliant scientific talent more security so they can get on with doing great science? Uh, and particularly some of the ideas that we'll be warming up there about that idea that perhaps we need to move to a longer term set of grant cycles. So instead of providing funding fellowships and grants for a one to three year period of time, maybe we should be looking at, at a minimum of five years, for instance, to try and push out those horizons and give people um, employment certainty for a set period of time so they can just get on with doing the great science and tech breakthrough work that we want them to do. Uh, and part of that will be about really encouraging the institutions that employ scientists and technologists as well to give them that longer term security. So a longer term contract or permanent employment uh, arrangements. So that again, people are not spending a huge amount of time reapplying essentially for their own jobs as researchers uh, or worrying about whether they're going to have a contract next month or next year. And all of that energy can be put into delivering those brilliant breakthroughs for the country. So uh, we feel like we're making some really good progress on that conversation with policymakers and, and there'll be much more kind of, again, into the new term of the parliament on that front. Um, and really the kind of quantum of investment that we make also in the other part of that pipeline, which is, of course, the big discovery research is important in that piece as well. So there's an opportunity to keep looking at that um, quantum of investment we put into the discovery or blue, site, blue sky research. So this is the stuff that... Uh, we may not necessarily know what the immediate applied translational use will be, but that's where the biggest historic breakthroughs in knowledge and innovation have come from historically. Well, let's hope they do listen to our incredible tech community that is calling for pretty simple ask, just think beyond your immediate election. 
Well, politicians love a roadmap, Elliot, and I think there are plenty of roadmaps they can grab straight off the shelf of some of the brightest minds in this country who put a lot of work into it. So whoever is our new government on Sunday morning, or maybe it won't... I don't think we'll find out this weekend, Simon. I think it's going to be... We'll be, t- we'll be You'll be here next week on the podcast going, still not sure. Oh, mate, you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard those, but I've also, over the many years I've covered elections, I've also seen these absolute landslides where by 7pm the party is over. We'll see how this one pans out. Unfortunately, my Don's party has disappeared because, of course, the one thing we haven't spoken about in this election, COVID, which has now killed an extraordinary number of people this year and continues to have an enormous impact on the economy, has been forgotten in this election. Unfortunately, hello, Michael and Tina, um, we won't be joining them for our Don's party version on Saturday night because their family has got it right now. I've had it. I mean, everyone, you've had it. It's just like it's been the most insane year on that front, but uh, somehow we've kind of given up on that. Look, I think, uh, you know, uh, there is a point where it does you've got to get on with life and as long as you're following all the appropriate circumstances, I don't think we can, you know, do do what China did and all re-lockdown again. I don't think there's anyone calling for that either, but it is something that we actually do need to still consider as a thing that we do have to live with and at the moment it, there's probably not a plan in place, but I guess everyone's just been a little bit busy. Well, we're going to need the innovation too for that next COVID that comes along along the way as well. All right. Let's get back to our show because I love uh, Julie Trell, who is one of the organisers of Shio in Australia, one of the leaders out here. I call her Tina Sparkles sometimes because she loves to wear sparkly things. She is an absolute ray of sunshine, brings joy into the room. She's been working with the startup community for many, many years. So we had her on the show this week to talk about the new program of tackling the world to-do list for female and non-binary entrepreneurs. They've got applications open at the moment in New Zealand and Australia. They close on June 10, but I got her on just to tell everyone about what they do because I do think it is something amazing. SHEO is a community, a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folk working on the world's to-do list, also known as the Sustainable Development Goals. And we do this through funding, through a community, through unlearning circles, trying to create new systems to benefit people who are not getting access to the systems that are currently in place. It's really cool the community that they have fostered, you know, um, and she goes on to sort of elaborate it. You know, it is really all about that community when you, you know, spoke to her. um, And we also had on one of the people that has gone through it, Sue um, Sue de Berrer. I totally Messed that one up for you, Sue. I'm so sorry. I'm going. Um, <laughs> and the the community was the focus for them. But you did talk um, to Julie, and you did say, you know, ask what the criteria is for the applications because it's a little bit different than most. The criteria is a women-led or non-binary-led company with a minimum of 50k in revenue, up to two million in the last year, working on the world's to-do list in some way, shape, or form, self-identified and um, majority female-owned and led. After the first round, activators, women that have contributed the funding into the zero-interest loan fund, get to choose. We'll be reading all of the applications. So it's not an expert of five people at a table. It's the activators that are coming, and they are told to vote with their bias. I know this is going to freak out a lot of investors, but voting with your bias. What can you bring to this network as far as your capital, your buying power, your network? Every single application gets feedback. 
One of the questions is, what is your ask? And the ask can be, I need access to a marketing expert. I need coaching in sales business. And even if they might not make it to the next round, the activators are excited to, to provide those connections and answer those asks. How cool and fun is that? And she's even put together a Spotify playlist for you to listen to as you fill out your application. I love that. It's the little things. You know, it's the little things that make a difference. I have to get the link from her because I want to hear what's on it. I don't think it has Eye of the Tiger or any classics like that to really pump you up and get you going. Um, but we did talk to Sue as well, who joined us from New Zealand. She uh, runs a, an online accountancy business that has been going great guns and done some great capital raises off the back of being through the program. And so I asked her about the process of being involved and how important it was for her building her startup. Perspective is in 2018, I was uh, doing a capital raise for my company Beanie, which offers online accounting services to small business owners in New Zealand, but also we've just started in Australia. Um, and I had had um, a really difficult capital raise, had not managed to raise what I wanted, was contacted by one of the New Zealand-based CEO activators who said, you should apply, Sue. There's a the venture application that's just opened, as it has now for this year, apply. And I was actually sitting in an airport in a, in a lounge waiting for a plane, and I thought, why not? And it literally took me 20 minutes, so it was super fast, super easy, and I kind of just spoke from the heart about what I was trying to do with my company, the difference I was trying to make in the world. Uh, 20 minutes later, I submitted the application, and then four months later, probably, I was announced as a finalist and uh, could access some of the Shio loan money. I love how it was just such a simple application. She did it in an airport um, and, you know, and just kept, kept going on and has loved it, and now she's involved on the other end as well to encourage people to sign up to the program as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, so as I said, you've got uh, until June 10 to apply. Have a look on SheEO. That is, of course, she as in the pronoun, then eo.world slash ventures for the details. Now, Elliot, you had a cracking conversation with Laura Warden from Folklore Ventures this week about people and culture and how to tackle this in building a startup. I absolutely love this chat with Laura. Um, it was really in-depth as well because, you know, you're a startup, you're probably quite a small team, particularly for founders. It might be the first time leading and hiring a team. And, you know, she makes the point quite early on that it is important to sort of think about people and think about the culture that you're bringing into an org organisation right from the get-go. I think hiring the right people, onboarding the right people, and then sort of managing the expectations of that person, both in their role-related activities and their sort of behaviours, making sure, sure that those are in line with the values of a company are super important. Um, it's not easy and it takes a lot of effort, which is why we say to do it early um, and to make sure that you've got someone managing that either um, a, a people person, an operations person, or a founder really sort of embodying that and focusing on that. Um, yeah, you can't really get people wrong because they are the most expensive asset of a business and they really can make or break a, an organization in its early stages. Yeah, I, I, she really emphasized that point. And I loved your follow-up question after that, Elliot, where you asked about hiring the right people. Well, do you focus on whether they have the right skill set or is it all about their fit uh, with the culture and the need to live and breathe those values? She had some really great points about that and mindset and how you tackle it. 
if someone has the potential and they're absolutely living and breathing your company values and where you see your business going, that is almost more important than the sort of role-related experience. Obviously, you need people that are going to come in and actually be able to do the job. But if you came, had someone exceptional in their role-related um, elements, but they actually culturally were not aligned to where you see the business going from a cultural perspective or they um, sort of didn't live and, and breathe, breathe the values, that would have, I think, greater implications down the line and sometimes not even that far down the line that really could cause a, a toxic environment or um, cause issues with the overall culture of the firm. Um, not saying that you want to go and hire someone just because they're the right person. You do need to balance it with that role-related experience or at least potential. But knowing that um, that the, the role related with the coach, it's very hard to coach personal traits if that's really not in line with with their personal values. Um, so making sure that there are values elements tied into how you recruit, um, even sort of from your job advert to how you run an interview process, um, and making sure that you really do pull that out of people when they are going through that process. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed what Laura did have to say, you know, it best of both worlds is what you're striving for. But at, at sometimes it is like, well, if you've got people that have comparable skill sets, go with the one that you think is going to be more ingrained uh, in the culture. But, you know, I did have to talk to her as well, because obviously there's founders listening or founders that would be watching or that, you know, might be down the track a little bit and they go, well, it, has, it didn't go quite right that from my first moment. Can I get it back on track or do I just start again, new team, new culture, new everything? Um, and, you know, she was quite open and, and upfront. They've, they've sort of did a reevaluation after three years as well. But you can be vulnerable. You can sort of talk to your team and be open about the culture and work to fix it. Definitely okay to be vulnerable with this stuff, especially in early stages. Like it is all a learning, especially in the startup world. People coming in are all different. There's diversity of thought. And with diversity of thought, which is super important, like any form of diversity, there are going to be challenges. And it is okay. And it's good to accept those all come together. Make sure everyone's included in those conversations and they are being addressed. Otherwise, if they are sort of being brushed under the carpet or people feel like they aren't being addressed, it will just get worse. So it's sort of like with HR, everything that you do is better to start from the beginning, nip things in the in the bud and sort of readdress constantly and accept that it is evolving. And I think leaders who are vulnerable and having those conversations with the team um, uh, get a lot out of that. And even here at Folklore, we did a reevaluation of our values recently. We've grown hugely over the past three years. So we sat down together as an organization and went through our values and how we act, like how we should be acting every day, both internally and externally, and just readdressed whether those all were still relevant to how we believe 
we act as individuals and as a team and as a business. Yes, isn't that a great point? That reminder that you do need to go back and talking of roadmaps, check your roadmap, see that it's still relevant, you're still heading down the right path and the values that you've set around the business are still apply to this day because things do change, they do evolve, it goes bigger and better. Now, Elliot, uh, it has been quietening down uh, globally, I have to say, on the investment front, but uh, Karma is one startup that uh, is not exactly when it comes to its $75 million raise. I was going to say not exactly. I think you sort of uh, sold them easy there. $75 million is an incredible amount of money. Uh, and, you know, it's with Tiger Global, who we spoke about last week as well, doubling down on the startup. Um, and, you know, they've got pretty pretty good roadmap for the plans with the money, Simon. Well, I think there are a couple of really great founders, Yosuke and Lachlan from Karma. It's a great story. Of course, it seems to be the right thing for the right time because this is all about buying used cars. And I did make the joke about journalists being on the uh, somewhere on the trust scale with used car salespeople. But uh, <laughs> they did point out that the used car salespeople... We're lower, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 they made a similar point too. Um, but uh, what I love about this business is, you know, that on that delivery, they detail the cars, they fix them up, they're building out the infrastructure, they're buying the cars and then selling them to people at competitive rates. Of course, it's an online shop. It's delivered to your front door. You've got seven days to like it or send it back. Um, But with all of this money, uh, they're now going to go national. They're building a plant down in Melbourne. They want to get into Brisbane and go across the board. I did ask them about what's next off the back of this massive raise. Absolutely. So we're going to continue to grow our car inventory that we have online. Um, So in our Sydney site, we actually have capacity for around 12 or 1300 cars. Um, And when right now we've started our process of identifying our Melbourne location. So as we get Melbourne up and running and online, that will be an even larger facility. Um, And then towards the end of the year, we want to be able to, you know, have a website and a platform that offers well over a thousand cars to our customers um, and delivery into those markets that we're operating in. I think that platform has so much to grow um, and boys I will be contacting you I've got a almost 10 year old beat up Corolla that might be of interest oh so you can get a Tesla oh absolutely <laughs> not Simon don't <laughs> D- uh, no look I'll be on a bike <laughs> oh, oh, an e-bike and, well that's a bit lazy isn't it so uh, Elliot uh, you are riding off into the sunset I am a bit sad about that I have to say uh, where are you going So I am heading into the investment world. I am heading over to Stake, uh, which many people might know. They themselves are startup. Fintech startup. Fintech startup just raised $90 in in fact. Oh, my gosh. Half of that's going on your wage, is it? Absolutely. That's the only way to get me these days. It's a couple mil. But it will be really exciting. Do something new, something different, but still being able to stay, you know, in small teams in the universe of finance that I've found myself. Well, Elliot, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for the success that you've made Startup Daily, both on Ausbiz and in this podcast, mate. We wish you all the best. I hope you enjoy listening to this just as a listener. Um, I'm having a bit of a rethink about where we take it next because uh, I'll miss your smiling face. But, mate, all the best for your next adventure and I uh, hope you have a great time. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been a tremendous two years to meet the startup community with you to talk to the amazing range of guests that we've had. Um, And I just know that like the show, the podcast, the site, of course, 
will all keep growing um, because it is such a valuable resource to the startup community. We will be back with Suds next Friday, but everyone have a great weekend. Of course, we'll be back on air with the show at 2pm on Monday. And don't forget to read the site, startupdaily.net. Enjoy your weekend. See you then. Bye for now.